It is our privilege to bring to you the following message, supported by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. This message was recorded during our normal Sunday morning service times. Pastor Rick Foster is serving as our interim senior pastor here at Rancho Baptist Church. Today, Pastor Rick continues in his series on life with a capital L. Today is part four, and he's in Ephesians chapter one, looking at verses seven through eight in a sermon he's entitled, Stuck Ducks. Let's join Pastor Rick as he talks about the truth of our forgiveness and redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ. Here's Rick. We're on a journey, a journey to find what so few ever really find, and that is life with a capital L. And the reason that so few ever find it is because of what Jesus said in Luke, I mean Matthew chapter 7, when he said, the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. So that means if we are watching what the majority are doing, if we, if our expectation is that life is going to be convenient for us, if we make the right choices, that is, then we're going to miss it. We're going to miss the way. So what is life with a capital L? Well, it is the promise of eternal life, but it's not just a life that we will get later. It's the gift of life that we can experience even now. Life with a capital L injects into our Monday to Saturday lives purpose and meaning. Life with a capital L infuses into us desire and then satisfaction. Life with a capital L harmonizes the gap between the day we're living and eternity. John, I mean, Jesus said in John chapter 10, 10, that this abundant life is a life that is both excessive and remarkable. Yet, every day, every day, we see a large number of people traveling down this wide road playing at the game of life. They're desperately clutching or trying to possess one of three cards that they believe will make their lives happy, meaningful, and secure. We've looked at them before. Let's remind ourselves again of them. One of the cards is the cards of performance. People believe that life will be meaningful and wonderful based upon what I do. So therefore, they believe that they must stay competent. Something in their lives has got to stay competent because life's about what I do. Or one of the other cards that we looked at is the card of possessions. In other words, life is good. Life is meaningful. Life is going to be wonderful based upon what I have. This card puts the pressure on us then that then I've got to accumulate. Or there's the third card we looked at. And that is the third card of popularity. Life is all about what others say about me. And then the pressure is on in my life then that I have got to gain and I have got to keep respect. And the danger, though, in pursuing or wanting those cards is that there's something inherently wrong with them in that they consistently overpromise, underdeliver, and they also painfully disappoint us. But then there's life with a capital L. 
It's that something more we all want. It's that something more for which we were created, which is a relationship with the God of heaven who created us. And when we are able to enjoy life with a capital L, it starts to restore us to the original trajectory for which we were created. But as we've mentioned, to experience this life with a capital L immediately puts us into the middle of a spiritual battle every single day. We have an enemy that is determined to kill or steal or try to destroy this life of the capital L that we have been given. So as Paul mentioned to us, and we've looked at this before, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, every day we are to fight the good fight and take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Again, notice in there, there is a battle to take hold of that which is eternal life. So that's why we're unpacking Ephesians chapter 1 from verse 4 all the way down to verse 14. For these verses describe for us how God wants us to take hold of six cards of divine blessing that allow us to experience then life with a capital L. And we've looked at the two already. One of them is we have been personally selected. In other words, God has chosen us. He has spoken three life-giving words over us. I want you, and therefore I matter. The second card is found in Ephesians 1, verse 5 and verse 6, that in Christ we have been given the lovingly adopted card. Our Heavenly Father has adopted us into His, uh, into his family, and therefore I now belong to Him. And this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to continue in Ephesians 1. We're going to look at verse 7 in the first part of verse 8. And we're going to add a third card to our hand. But to begin, let me start with the story. Back in 1992, a cargo ship left Hong Kong on the way to a port on the West Coast. While en route, the, the ship hit a, uh, a very rough storm and some very rough seas and several shipping containers that were on that ship uh, were washed overboard. One of those containers held 28,000 rubber duck bath toys. When the container hit the ocean, it broke open, setting free all of these ducks. And they began to travel across the North Pacific. A few lucky ducks landed in Hawaii. Uh, some made shore in Alaska, others beached themselves in South America, and even down to Australia. Uh, these ducks have been found frozen in Arctic ice. They have been, um, some have been made their way even to Scotland and Newfoundland in the Atlantic. But the majority of the 28,000 ducks, now 25, year late, 25 years later, still bob around in the North Pacific gyre. That North Pacific gyre is a vortex of currents that start just north of Japan, sweep north across all the way to southeast Alaska, and then back again across the Pacific, around and around and around. Occasionally a duck breaks free of the Pacific gyre and washes up on some distant shore, but it doesn't just happen. The ducks don't set themselves free. 
Instead, it takes something external, uh, some change that has to occur. Sometimes it's a storm that blows across the water. Sometimes it's marine life that bumps a duck out of, its, out of the current or a ship that pulls one of it in its wake. But if it's not for an outside influence, the ducks stay trapped in that circular current. How many of us here this morning feel like that describes us? We're stuck ducks. Oh, we remember. We remember when we first trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior. It was real. It was authentic. But then somewhere, at some time, something happened. And we strayed. We deviated off the path. As my dad would say, We went out into the high weeds. And now we can't find our way to come back. We're lost. Or we've tried to come back, but we can't. We're trapped. Or we don't even now care to come back. We've been blinded. We've been deceived. I hope you're beginning to realize that the power of life with a capital L is that it meets us right at the middle and the place of our own brokenness. It meets us right where we, as Christ followers, wrestle with guilt and and shame and, and hopelessness. And life with a capital L bids us to come and open that door and face that which we're just scared to death to face inside of us. For you see, the third element of life with a capital L reminds us that redemption is a rescue. You have Ephesians 1 open in front of you. Look at verse 7. Paul continues in this one long run-on sentence by saying, In him, and who's him? Christ, right. So in Christ, we have redemption Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Now, again, stop for a moment. Just remember, who's Paul writing to? Believers in a church in Ephesus. So one of the wildly wonderful blessings that we have received in Christ is the ongoing rescue that is available to us. See, the followers of Jesus have not only experienced an initial redemption at the moment of salvation, but we can continue to experience being redeemed. Now, you may know, but you may not, that this word redemption that Paul uses here in in, in verse 7 pictures a scene in the Roman world of a slave in the market who is up for sale on the auctioneer's platform. Standing there in shackles, probably barely clothed, for all to gawk at, it is an incredibly degrading experience. And to everyone's amazement, someone in the crowd bids the purchase price in order to set that slave free. Now, there are five different words that the New Testament authors use when they talk about redemption or to redeem. The one word that Paul is using here in in Ephesians 1 and verse 7 as part of what life with a capital L is all like emphasizes three different things. First, 
This word, redemption here, emphasizes that it is a rescue of the utterly helpless. Remember the ducks in the Pacific Gyre? They're not going to get out unless something helps them. That's the same picture. Like the stuck ducks, a person in need of rescue is utterly helpless to change their situation. And that's why, literally, that's why we have Coast Guard rescue swimmers. That's why we have firemen that run into burning buildings after people. That's why we have search teams that go out into the wilderness to recover those who have gotten lost. Redemption as rescue implies that the only possibility for change is if a third party steps in. In other words, someone is stuck, not knowing what to do, not knowing where to go. They don't have the resources to change their status, or they've lost hope, and they don't even care anymore. See, Paul is bluntly stating by the use of this word that we, as the followers of Jesus Christ, can get ourselves into an utterly helpless situation where we once again need Jesus Christ to show up as our Savior. Not in salvation, but to save us from what's going on inside our lives. Some of you have probably read the author Paul Tripp. In one of his books, he says of us believers, every day we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. Have you ever heard that statement before? What does he mean by that? What does he mean that believers need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day? Does that mean we need to get saved every day? Well, kind of. What I think he pauses after is that every day we are to confess our utterly helpless situation, our inability to fix what's gone wrong, and we cry out to God because we can't manage our sinful flesh, and we invite Jesus Christ to come into our life that day to come to our rescue. It's like David in the Psalms, who over and over cries out to God, to say, come be my savior, come rescue me from things like our addiction to playing the game of life, our drivenness to pursue one of these three cards down here. Oh, Jesus, come and rescue me from my self-centered choices. Rescue me from my inability to say no and make it stick from my substance abuse, from my degrading habits that I've gotten caught up in, from my depression, from my discouragement, from my anger that tries to control, and then it ends up abusing those around me. See, the first element that Paul wants to emphasize by his word choice here when he says in verse 7, we have redemption, is that redemption is a rescue of the utterly helpless. Which leads us to the second element. The second element wrapped up in this word that Paul's using here is that redemption is a rescue in which we are bought back. We are bought back. Okay, so as a follower of, as a follower of Christ, how is it possible that I can get stuck? How is it possible that I can feel enslaved? I mean, I thought the Bible tells me that I've been set free. You have. The issue is, what have you done with your freedom? Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us 
free. So stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. See, it's possible to go back and get enslaved again. Or how about down in Galatians 5, verse 13? For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. See, that's how we can use our freedom if we're not careful. But through love, serve one another. You see what Paul's driving at? That when I choose to act from my flesh, I become ensnared once again. So any un Forgiven, unrepentant sin holds me captive. Turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 7, and let's let Paul describe for us what this feels and looks like for us. You probably know it, but let's remind ourselves again this morning. Romans chapter 7, beginning at verse 18 down to verse 23. Listen to these words of what it's like to be ensnared, even as a follower of Christ. Paul writes and says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me, dwells within me. Verse 21, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me, what's that next word? Captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Now look at another key word back in Ephesians 1.7. In Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. That word trespass describes swerving off the path. In In our last interim back in North Carolina, we lived in the missions home of the church that we were serving and that missions home was right on a major four-lane thoroughfare in High Point, North Carolina. One night, late at night, I remember barely hearing, it didn't wake me up too much, but I remember hearing the screeching of tires. The next morning, I went out, and someone had come down that four-lane thoroughfare, swerving back and forth, swerved off the road, and took out our neighbor's mailbox. It didn't stop them. They kept on going down the street, swerving back and forth, until about a quarter of a mile down, the road took a pretty sharp curve. At that point, they swerved off the road, hit a tree, and totaled their car. Bad things happen when we swerve off the path. How many here are golfers? You play golf? You can confess it. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay. Okay. You use golfers, you know. Bad things happen, don't they, when you don't keep your ball in the fairway. It's not fun when you hit a slice or you hit a, uh, a hook and your ball ends up in the trees. Golf is not fun playing from there. And here's the wonder of life with a capital L. Because I, didn't, I stopped reading in Romans 7. Let me continue in verse 24 where Paul says, Wretched man that I am. 
Who will deliver? See, here's this rescue going on. I'm captive. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So when we lose our way, when we swerve out there and and become captive and we're, we're walking on the cliff edge of losing hope, folks, we've got a Redeemer. We have a Rescuer who will come for us and bring us back to where we belong. See, and that's Jesus' heart for us. Some of you probably questioned that this morning, but that is Jesus' heart for you this morning. Remember his words in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, where he said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. My friends, his heart has not changed. We've been personally selected. We've been lovingly adopted. He will continue to provide his redemptive work in our lives. Which means our guilt can be forgiven. Our shame can be removed. Our bondage can be broken. We can be set free once again. More than likely, there are some here this morning where you have got issues that, like those stuck ducks, have been in your life for more than 25 years. What do you do? The first step is to bring them into the light by confession. And he will forgive. Let me give you some wonderful scriptures to hang on to. Psalm 130, verse 7. David says, Put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is plentiful redemption. Not a meaty, meaty redemption. A lot of redemption. Plentiful. Psalm 32, verse 5, David says, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you, Lord, forgave the iniquity of my sin. Or jump into the New Testament, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what are the first two elements of redemption? As Paul uses that word here in Ephesians 1, 7, it's a rescue of the hopeless in which we are bought, bought, B-O-U-G-H-D, we're bought back. See, we've known the taste of freedom. We've known the taste of freedom. And it can once again be ours. Let's add the third element. The third quality of this word redemption here in Ephesians 1, 7 which we're to experience, is that it's a rescue because we're family. See, in the slave market, strangers don't purchase. I mean, strangers purchase, they don't redeem. The buying of a slave was a business transaction, pure and simple. You are being purchased for what you can give, for what you can do. You're simply a commodity. There's no relationship. But imagine what would happen if on a given day you were walking through the slave market and you happened to look up to the auctioneer's platform at a slave who was standing there to be sold and you recognized that person as being family. 
eye contact is made between you and that person. And even though because of the noise of the crowd, you can't hear it, they look at you and their lips mouth a single word, help. Can you imagine the shock you'd feel? Can you imagine the indignation that you would feel? Can you imagine the powerful surging of love that something must be done right here, right now, because this isn't right? And the immediate response would be to spend whatever would be necessary to rescue them and bring them back to their freedom. Why? Because they're family. Ephesians 1.5 One of the blessings is that we have been adopted as sons through Jesus Christ. We are in His family. We are His children. Now, because of my choices, listen carefully to me, because of my choices, a slave is what I may feel like and a slave is what I may look like, but it is not who I am. If we all but cry out, our Heavenly Father will come for us because at some point there was that initial redemption, that first rescue, and we're family. Do you think he's going to leave family there? But please note something. Back into the text, Ephesians 1.7. Please note, and we just thought about this as Mike led us in taking communion, the cost that was paid for the rescue. Look at verse 7 again. In Christ, we have redemption. Next words, through his blood. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth. The rescuer gave up his life so that the rescuee might get life. God himself came and paid the full price for our redemption in the lifeblood of his own Son of the cross. Mystery, is it not? Magnificent, is it not? Powerfully humbling, is it not? To realize the great lengths to which God who created me, he would go to that I might be restored to my original trajectory. Heaven's best for me. Because I'm family. Now, some of you this morning are here and you're deeply struggling with what you're hearing coming out of me because you're you're thinking there, Rick, you do not know what I've done or what I'm now doing. And you're right, I don't. You're probably also maybe thinking, you don't know how long I've been stuck. Rick, I am scared to hope because I, I don't think I can handle being disappointed again. Frankly, I've given up. Some of you, are that's where you're, that's what you're thinking. And really behind all of that, the question you have is, why would God come for me? Again, some of you are probably thinking, Rick, this sounds too good to be true. Folks, that's why it's called the good news. That's why it's called the gospel. Why would our God do this for us? Look at the text. 
Look how the end of verse 7 flows into the first part of verse 8. So in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Here we go. According to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us. Folks, our God delights to lavish grace upon us. Grace. Undeserved favor. It's getting what I don't deserve. So do we in any way deserve to be rescued from our stupid, sinful choices that have enslaved us once again? No, we don't. God has every right to leave us right where we are, stuck in the consequences and despair of having swerved off His path again. But we have a God who delights to lavish grace upon us. By the way, do you know what that word lavish means? Extravagant, unrestrained, excessive, generous, abundant. And guess what? This is exactly the same word Jesus used back in John 10.10 when he describes the life he wants us to have as being an abundant life. So when we cave in, so when we do it again, or we feel helpless to stop, even on our worst days, folks, we are still the recipients of God's grace that's abundant, overwhelming, over-the-top, remarkable, mind-blowingly rich, even on our worst day. Wow. I don't know if you've ever read the uh, author Anne Lamont, but in one of her books she says, Grace means you're in a different universe from where you had been stuck when you had absolutely no way to get there on your own. And even as a follower of Jesus Christ, you're probably like me, lavished grace. It's not just the last thing we thought we'd ever get. Lavished grace is getting outrageously more than we thought we'd ever get. For lavished grace is needing just a little water to clean up and getting drenched with a fire hose. Lavished grace is expecting a scolding, but walking into a raucous celebration that's being thrown in our honor. Lavished grace is being warmly welcomed home because we're loved, because we're family. Lavished grace is ours even on our worst day. And one of the powerful things that lavished grace does for us is that it, com- it combats the lies we fight. See, when we as a follower of Jesus Christ do a moral face plant, our enemy tries to take advantage of that moment. And so is it any wonder that then thoughts come into our minds that seek to persuade us that, one, there is no hope of recovery from what I've just done that I can't be forgiven, there is just too much damage that's been done. That God is not just disappointed in me, but He is sick and tired of me making the same mistake over and over again. That God's grace cannot cover what I've done. That it's not just that I did something wrong, but now I'm beginning to wonder if there's not something seriously wrong with me. And what's the answer to those kinds of lies that ricochet around in our brains. 
But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. We are to let those lies, those kinds of thoughts, drive us back to the incredible divine blessings of God. I don't know if it's um, a part of your song list or not. It's on mine because I want to regularly listen to it. One of my favorite Christian um, singers is a man by the name of Jason Gray, who wrote a song called, Remind Me Who I Am. Listen, listen. When I lose my way and I forget my name, remind me who I am. In the mirror, all I see is who I don't want to be. Remind me who I am. In the loneliest places, when I can't remember what grace is, tell me, once again, who I am to you, who I am to you. Tell me, lest I forget who I am to you, that I belong to you. And when my heart is like a stone and I'm running far from home, remind me who I am. When I can't receive your love, afraid I'll never be enough, remind me who I am. If I'm your beloved, can you help me believe it? So, tell me once again who I am to you, who I am to you. Tell me, lest I forget, who I am to you, that I belong. That's exactly what Paul's doing here in Ephesians 1. He's reminding us who we are because of what God has done for us and who we are to him. And the third card that we are to take into our hand and play as necessary is the card of being graciously rescued. The result of what God has done is I'm set free. Because in Christ, redemption is a rescue which was immeasurably costly for the completely undeserving. Let's pray. Father, something inside my heart, just once again in reviewing these verses and being reminded of just what you have done for us in Jesus. All the more just makes me want to worship. All the more just wants me to shout hallelujah. In fact, David said in the Psalms, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. (laughs) I do not deserve not only the initial redemption of meeting Jesus Christ as my Savior, but the ongoing redemptive work you do with anything and everything in my life. But you know, Lord, I'm grateful. And I know you want that sense of awe to then allow me to receive that lavished grace of yours into some pretty dark places of my heart. Father, would you help me allow you to go there?
Some of my brothers and sisters here in this room this morning have that same cry. Help them allow your love, your lavished grace to go there and rescue them. And may we as a body of believers come around one another because we all struggle. Therefore, we can relate. We can understand with real compassion and empathy to support one another in watching you, our wonderful Savior, come today, again tomorrow and the next day to rescue us. And we will be forever grateful and will rejoice to no end when on one day we will see you face to face and can thank you to your face for all that you've blessed us with in Jesus Christ. And it's in his wonderful name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. And here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.